Um, so thank you. I'm so thankful for coffee. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm glad. So thank you. Um, I also want to thank the Baking Bandits for the pastries this morning. Um, they're not here this morning, but they have been a longtime sponsor of Creative Roundtable, and we just really appreciate them. They are at Pepper Place almost every week um, for the farmer's market, and um, online you can follow them, and she's got like su surprise pie sales and things like that. So be sure to support them. Um, I also want to thank Audrey from WBHM. Thank you so much for being one of our sponsors. I don't know, there she is. Thank you so much. Um, we appreciate the uh, radio ads to support us. And in case this is your first time with us, um, we, James Kling and I, right there, started Creative Roundtable about two years ago. And um, the purpose of Creative Roundtable is to bring creatives together to um, encourage each other, to inspire each other, to learn together, so we can all be better at what we do. And in doing that, we make the creative industry in Birmingham stronger, and we feel like that's a real important part of the city. And that actually has a lot to do with our topic this morning. Um, so I hope that when you're here, you can make some new connections. You, you would be surprised at how many interesting people are in here and what they do. Um, and I hope you learn something that you don't know before and that you feel inspired to, um, to just go on and do um, what your interest in creativity is. And so thank you for being here. And I'm going to turn it over to James to let him. Oh, Nat, sorry. <laughs> I, no, 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 sorry. Uh, Matt, we are so, so grateful to be at the advent this morning. I just wanted Matt to talk for a second. So. Okay. Um. Thanks, Brooke. And on behalf of the Cathedral Church of the Advent, a very warm welcome. Um, and uh, for those in the know, we call it the Advent, by the way. Um, um, uh, just a couple things. Uh, I just want to talk to you about the connection to the theme tonight, which the title is, again, remind me. Birmingham, uh, past, present, and future, drawing on the, the power of place to inspire Did <laughs> you all catch that? Birmingham, past, present, and future, drawing on the something of place to inspire creativity. <laughs> Um, you know, and so uh, we're hosting it today just to sort of symbolize the history of the city of Birmingham was founded as a city in uh, 1871, and our uh, church, our congregation was founded in 1872. The site of our first church building was actually right where we're sitting today. Um, as you know, our, our current church is right here down those halls, but um, that building is no longer here, and, but uh, this would have been the residential district. It's kind of funny because when you go outside, this is the financial district with some of the tallest buildings in town. But this would have been where people lived. And so that's why the, uh, the historic churches are all right here because it was in the neighborhood. Um, and the city has changed um, since then dramatically. But uh, there you go. I mean, we've been around uh, since the beginning. And I'll just say a couple of things about um, some major contributions that uh, we've made historically to the city, uh, two of them I want to highlight. Uh, one is our Lenten preaching series. Lent is the, the, the church season before uh, Easter, about five weeks. Uh, what we do is we've been doing this for over 100 years, is we have someone come from across the country, sometimes around the world, uh, every day, every weekday, Monday through Friday during the season of Lent, and they uh, preach a sermon for 15 20 minutes, uh, and uh, more recently, since the 20th century, that's been coupled with the lunches, which have become more famous than the sermons, um, and maybe you've been here uh, for the lunches, 
which are very good, uh, and uh, we have a dedicated crew of volunteers who turn this church into a restaurant for, for five weeks. Um, so we're one of the oldest food festivals in town, if you think about it that way. Um, you know, sometimes a church does it for a day. We do it for five weeks. Um, another major contribution to the city is the Advent School, um, which is uh, just right on this side of the property. It's a pre-kindergarten through eighth grade private school, um, which uh, was... I think the first, if not one of the first, uh, private schools in the state of Alabama to, to integrate. Um, and it's still one of the best uh, private schools in the state of Alabama as well. Thank God my, uh, my daughters go there. So, um, hey. Um, but uh, so that's the sort of two big things that we do here. And we also, I want to say that we have an interest in the arts um, and in downtown Birmingham. Also, just because we're right here, but um, a couple things is one is this book came out uh, a couple years ago by John Harris Harper, who's the uh, the oil painting over there on the the right. That's his portrait. He's the uh, former uh, vice dean, and this is called Witnesses to the Light, which is primarily about our stained glass. Uh, it's a beautiful book, uh, but also. Um, about the art and architecture of our building and a little bit about the history and the history of Birmingham. I commend this to you. We saw it in our bookstore down the, the hallway, which isn't presently open, but if you want to come back. Um, and also, we have a, a fantastic music program. Fred Tiardo is our uh, director of music, and we have regular concerts, including in this room, but also in, in the church. And finally, um, we're producing a new magazine that's a arts and literary journal, arts, literary, and theology journal, which is uh, coming out in September. And we're having a launch party uh, Wednesday, September 9th at 7 p.m. right here. Um, uh, Alabama Biscuit Company is going to provide biscuits for us. We have a, a bluegrass band called the Oxymorons coming to play. And all our contributing uh, artists, or most of them, will be here, some of them uh, selling their artwork that's in the magazine and some of our authors doing uh, readings. I'm really excited about the, the journal. It'll come out once a year. And, and the goal is uh, for really to help participate, help us participate in the current sort of creative uh, renaissance that's going on here in, in Birmingham. And finally, I'll just say, and we are a church. Uh, if you're interested in a church home or checking us out, uh, we have worship services on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., which you probably don't want to come to. I'm sure this was a stretch to come here at 7.30 today. Uh, but by all means, there's that one. We also have a 9 o'clock service, 11 a.m., and then uh, a 5 p.m. service as well. Uh, so delighted to, to host a Birmingham Creative Roundtable. I think it's one of the, the best things going uh, right now in Birmingham. But what I know, I've only been here a year, um, but uh, it's been one of the things that's caught my attention the time that I've been here. So I'll just uh, hand it over to, to James and, and let you all get started. And this is here to record, by the way. All right. Thanks, Matt. We're getting close. I'm the last thing before David gets up here, and my job is to introduce him. So um, most of you all know David, but uh, for those that don't, David is a Birmingham native. I was born here, grew up here, Vestavia Hills High School graduate, went to Samford, went to Birmingham Southern to get a master's. So he is, he is well-rooted and established here in the Birmingham community. Other than a short stint in Washington, D.C., working for Spencer Back as he has spent his career here in kind of the nonprofit community development realm uh, from Operation New Birmingham, Main Street Birmingham, back to Operation New Birmingham, and now uh, with Rev Birmingham, the organization that was created as a, as a merger of 
ONB and Main Street. So we're excited to have David here. He is a, a wealth of knowledge about our city. He's, he's a Birmingham lover, old building hugger, all of the above. So uh, I feel like it's an exciting time to have David here. I feel like the buildings are finally starting to kind of hug you back. So we're excited to hear from David Fleming this morning. Let's give him a round of applause. Well, I'm uh, uh, pleased to be here and very excited to be in, uh, invited uh, to be uh, the speaker this morning. Um, you know, uh, it's taken two years for my wife to finally ask me to do this, so I, I don't know what that, that means. But, um, uh, I, you know, this speech, as I was you know, thinking about this talk, uh, uh, the, the purpose here is really for me to talk about why Birmingham is a place that inspires and the role that creatives really have in its present and its future. And that's kind of a different speech for me, because usually if I'm talking to the Rotary Club or Kiwanis Club, I'm just going through, here's everything going on in Birmingham right now. And, and we can talk about that if you were expecting or hoping for that or some of that. You know, I'll leave some time at the end, and we can do a lot of that. But really, this was a, you know, really a, a step you know, you know, two or three degrees above that and thinking about this city's history, um, what it is about this place that makes it something unique and interesting and, and different. And what is uh, why the creative um, movement that really is getting strong in Birmingham is really important to the future of it. And so we're going to take a broad romp, and I mean that broad through Birmingham's past, dance a little bit into its present uh, to sort of explore this. Um, earlier this spring, I went to the art show that is an annual art show that Energy Corporation puts on. I don't know how many of you know this. The Energy Corporation for, I don't know, 15 or 16 years just across the street every spring has this massive art show uh, in the building where they uh, uh, invite uh, painters to submit their works and those, they're judged and, you know, there's money involved if somebody wins, you know, various places, you know, they can get some cash out of it. And, um, uh, but, but there's over 200 paintings on display in, on the ground floor of, of Energy. If you've never been, you should look for that every spring. Uh, as I walked through it a couple of times, the, one of the things that really stood out to me was how much of the art was using Birmingham as its theme. So many of the paintings were either uh, a street scene in Birmingham, maybe a park scene, railroad park, uh, uh, the cathedral here, or some other beautiful piece of architecture, or uh, maybe inside, I think, uh, the, the bar at Bottega was one of the themes, you know, inside Bottega Cafe. You know, it just... Uh, and, and people out on the street. Um, and it struck me how much um, this place, for whatever reason, does inspire people to, to do art that's connected to it. And, um, and think about music. I mean, you can think, I, I'm sure you can think of so, much song, so, so many songs that have uh, used Birmingham as a theme. Um, and just all you have to do is, frankly, you know, Google it. And, and there's this huge list of songs that have Birmingham in it or about Birmingham you know, ranging from Tuxedo Junction to, you know, Randy Newman's song about Birmingham. I mean, heck, even Huey Lewis in the news had the, you know, South Side of Birmingham song in 1987 where they, uh, you know, encountered a street preacher, you know. So, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of music. And, you know, with all due respect to my friends in other cities, you know, I mean, when's the last time you heard a good song about Huntsville? You know, <laughs> I mean, I love Huntsville. You know, don't get me wrong. But, you know, Birmingham's inspired a lot of that. So, um, uh, 
you know, we are really up there with cities. You know, a lot of cities have inspired things, you know, art, you know, New York and Chicago, New Orleans. But, you know, I think Birmingham is up there with those cities of significance when it comes to that kind of inspiration. Uh, but before 1871, Jefferson County, Alabama, frankly, was insignificant. It was not a significant place. It was not an agricultural powerhouse like um, the Black Belt region of South Alabama or the Tennessee Valley in the north. You know, that's where the power and the money and everything was. And of course, you know, a, a war ended up being fought, a civil war over that sort of economic base that was based on slavery. And um, uh, so the economy of Alabama was in shambles you know, after the Civil War. And, um, but it was this place, what the ground really offered here, that helped to um, bring significance. So in the last quarter of the 19th century, the mix of what this place naturally offered and then mankind's vision, uh, drive, creativity, tenacity, and practical need to you know, make some money um, really gave Jefferson County that significance. And so I'm going to, you know, the next, next five or ten minutes really quickly go through Birmingham's history from 1871 to today. And that's a challenge, especially with some noted historians in the room like Alice Boucher sitting over there. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to do this right. But I think um, I have decided to break that into three parts. And the first section of Birmingham's history is really from 1871 to 1910. And I call that the upstart era. Um, what natu was naturally offered here? Does anybody know? What, were the, what, were the, what was the reason why this iron and steel industry could happen here? Why? You had iron ore, you had coal, and you had limestone in abundance nearby. And those three things you had to have in order to have an iron and steel industry. You had to have the coal, which was what you would heat up to then melt together the iron ore, and the limestone. And the limestone was the purifying element. It took the impurities out of the iron ore. And then when, you know, you've seen those pictures of the sparks flying around furnaces, when they tap the furnace, that's the good stuff is what's coming out. And that's what they would cool and then break up and then turn into pipe or steel or anything like that. Um, but you had to have the people with the vision and the desire to build that industry and to use those resources that were here. Uh, and that's what came along in the likes of folks like uh, Milner and Powell and Lynn and DeBartolet, the names that you all know because we either have streets named for these people or parks or whatever. These were the people that came together and said, you know, we're going to take what's here naturally and we're going to turn this into, a, into an industry. And it was bold. There was big dreams. Uh, this was not what Alabama was about up to that point. We were an agricultural state. This was different. Um, and so... Um, that boldness led them to do bold things like um, naming the city for the greatest industrial city of the world at that time, Birmingham, England. Um, they, they laid out a park just really across the street over there, um, and they called it originally Capital Park because they had the dream to steal the capital from Montgomery and move it here, and they were going to build the Capitol building right there. They were bold about it. I mean, they didn't hide it, you know. Capital Park, that's where we're going to put it. They had already moved the county seat from the little bitty hamlet of Elaton, which eventually got absorbed into Birmingham. They'd moved that over to Birmingham. Um, and, you know, of course, in this era, they did, you know, bold things like uh, put together this giant cast iron statue and sent it to St. Louis to the World's Fair, which was the tallest cast iron statue in the world, and just put it in everybody's face and say, look at Birmingham, look what we're doing. You know, and now we got Vulcan, we still have Vulcan with us today. Um, these visionary industrialists really needed people to work 
the mines and the factories, but they also needed people to come here and open up shops that sold groceries and sold uh, furniture and uh, provided services to people who were coming here in droves. And they came. They came from all over America they, you know, and, and all over the world. They came from Alabama and they came from Mississippi. Former slaves were leaving fields and trying to work in factories, and you had other sharecroppers move in here to try to have a better life. And uh, they came from Kentucky and Georgia, but they came from England and Germany and Russia and Greece and Italy. This was a very eclectic mix of people that came here that have put their mark here in Birmingham. You had people uh, like Peter and Rosa Zinzer uh, who came here and um, opened uh, a store uh, to sell furniture to people and, and, and household goods and, and had that entrepreneurial spirit. And, and that, the building that they built is still with us today on 2nd Avenue North. It's the cast iron front building. It's now a law firm. Um, just two, two buildings down from the Collins Bar. Y'all probably you know, may be more familiar with the bar. Don't raise your hand and admit it. But, you know, that's, it, it's right there next door. And, um, and it was, you know, it was bold. It was, he called it Peter Zinzer's Mammoth Furniture Warehouse. Now, how about that for a business title? But, you know, that was pretty, that was pretty bold. So, so what they were all about. And they did creative things like offer credit when people didn't offer credit. And they uh, actually had cots laid out for the ladies who they believe were the buyers when they were tired they wanted them to be arrested by arrested buyer was a better buyer so they actually said come in lay down on the cot take a nap and then get up and buy some furniture so, um, people like Louis Pizitz born in Russia but moved here uh, moved to America and eventually immigrated here got to Birmingham in 1898 and opened a little store that eventually became a very big store um, yeah, one of my favorite stories is actually related to, to this landmark, Advent. Um, the, this cathedral, uh, the money was raised to build this building um, because uh, the women of the church decided to put together a, uh, essentially a, 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 a festival of dance that um, was gonna, they were going to sell tickets to and raise money for. And that was scandalous. I mean, the Baptists and the Methodists and the, the Presbyterians thought that was awful. Who was doing that? You know, well, I was a church sponsoring a dance. But it worked because we have this wonderful architectural landmark with us today because they were, they were being creative. It was a boom town, more like a Wild West town, muddy, dirty, uh, a very prominent red light district. Um, uh, but many things could have killed Birmingham in those early years, a cholera epidemic, you know, financial panics. Uh, but needless to say, between 1900 and 1910, Birmingham went from being the 14th largest city in the south to the third largest city in the south. It was like magic, they said. Um, by the end of that era, we were the largest city in Alabama. We were the wealthiest city in Alabama, the largest industrial city in the south, uh, and boasted actually the largest streetcar line of any city in America you know, per capita, you know, based on our size. If you compared our size with others, we had more streetcars than anybody else. Um, but one thing interesting and significant happened at the end of this era. Um, the Tennessee Coal and Iron Company, TCI, was the largest industrial uh, plant here in Birmingham. It had started in Tennessee. Most of the operations by this point had moved to Alabama. It was the biggest rival nationally to U.S. Steel. Uh, J.P. Morgan's U.S. Steel um, was their big rival, and they were, they were number two. And uh, unfortunately, around 1907, they ran into some financial trouble and uh, were facing collapse. Um, and Theodore Roosevelt, who was president at the time, went against his uh, uh, normal inclination to, to not allow monopolies and to bust up the trust, allowed J.P. Morgan to buy TCI. 
and we became, essentially at that point, um, our economic future became really dictated by Pittsburgh at that point. And uh, we were no longer really the upstarts. That gets us into the next era, which 1910 to 1945, I call the maturing era. Uh, we have to talk about George Ward, who was the mayor uh, kind of, you know, in this transition period, who really, he was world-traveled, he was a different type of guy, and he uh, wanted to clean up the city and, and make it not so much the saloon town that it was, the Wild West town, and he made it, uh, he, was, he was inspired by the City Beautiful movement, and he wanted to make Birmingham beautiful as well, and so he worked very hard during his time sort of clean up the city, and this was when, you know, a lot of the big modern buildings uh, at the time were, were going up. The heavy corner on earth became the heavy corner, you know, the, on First Avenue North and, and 20th Street. Uh, the... Um, what we call today the city federal building, you know, went up and, you know, I mean, these tall buildings, these people had never seen buildings as tall. It was, it was crazy. Uh, and uh, uh, the city built uh, the, the big five high schools and, and, the, and the school system became, you know, one of the things that it was most proud of. Thomas Jefferson Hotel went up and, you know, they were bold enough to, to uh, put on the top of that building a docking tower because they believed that dirigible travel was going to be the wave of the future, and people would just bring their dirigible, their blimp, you know, up and dock at the top of the building and, and get off, and uh, then that would be uh, how you'd arrive. Well, unfortunately, the Hindenburg happened, and so, you know, that, that went away. But, you know, half of that tower is still there today, and unfortunately, the developers are going to restore that tower. Um, 19, you know, 23, I think it was the Pizitz building, you know, we talked about Lewis. He finally built his big building, which was the largest department store south of the Ohio River when it was built. Uh, 74 departments in the department store is a big deal. Um, I think we cannot not, unfortunately, talk about the other side of Birmingham history, and that is the fact that this was a period where all the Jim Crow laws were really starting to harden. Segregation was really hardening up at that point, and you started to see actually laws get on the books to, that, that dictated where on the streetcars African Americans could, could sit versus white folks, and that was, you, know, you were really beginning to see that, and, and we can't ignore that part of Birmingham's history, because it actually uh, fed the, the creation of a whole other uh, great culture, you know, black gospel music really is, is, this was an incredible city for the growth of black gospel music, but even jazz had its roots here. Uh, note Fess Watley, Fess Watley was a teacher at Parker High School. He was a music teacher. He was the band teacher, and he was he played with jazz early on, and he trained kids to play in jazz. And so, um, when Duke Ellington and uh, when Glenn Miller and folks like that needed people to play in their bands, they'd call Fess Watley and say, "I need a player," you know, because they knew if Fess had trained them, they were good. Uh, and that was what our city was producing. Of course, this was the era of the Depression, uh, which hit Birmingham very hard, but then the war came and helped out because we needed production. So the third era, we get into 1945 to 1999, and that's a big chunk of time. But I call this the change era because after the war, the industrial decline, uh, competition from plastic uh, against our iron, uh, competition from scrap iron made it harder. And then, of course, environmental protection was beginning to make it hard to just uh, belch out all the smoke and soot that we, we had going in this very dirty city at the time. And uh, so um, industrial decline was hitting us, and we, we really realized how much, and we really realized in the Depression how much we were dependent on one, and all our eggs were in one basket, really, with the, with the industrials. So um, 
things like UAB were started really in earnest. Uh, the, the little um, extension of the university in Tuscaloosa has become the largest employer in the state of Alabama now. And that started you know, in this, this era. But the growth of the suburbs came, you know, people were moving out of the dirty, smoky valley and they get, you know, they're moving to the other side of the mountain on like 21st Avenue, I think it is, is that was called Diaper Row because of all the young families that were, you know, having kids and you, you didn't throw away diapers then. You had to, you know, wash them and you hung them up on a line and any, any day driving to that neighborhood, you just see diapers hanging all over the place. So it became Diaper Row. Um, 1960, the first enclosed mall in the southeast opened on the edge of the city uh, in Eastwood, Eastwood Mall. Uh, this was a threat to downtown, and, and this is what had caused a lot of the folks to put together the Birmingham Downtown Improvement Association, which eventually became OMB, which eventually became Rev Birmingham. Uh, it started in response to the need to clean up downtown and help it not be choked with cars and all that stuff. But, um, uh, you know, if you've ever seen the clippings from the news reports when Eastwood Mall opened, one of my favorites is. Uh, how the, the, they talked about how Eastwood Mall was, they called it the city of the future. That was the, city, that was the headline, city of the future. And, and I find it you know, very pleasurable to think about the fact that that city of the future is now a parking lot for Walmart. <laughs> Downtown is still here and it's thriving. So um, this was also the era, of course, when uh, the, the nation began to recognize that things were not right as it, uh, pertain to a lot of our citizenry, particularly uh, black Americans. And uh, a couple significant things uh, happened in Birmingham. First being in 1948 when the, uh, the Democrat convention was split, when uh, Harry Truman was trying to run for re-election, and the National Democratic Party started to say, you know, we need to do something about civil rights. The Southern Democrats hated that, and they bolted, left the convention, and they came here to Birmingham to Battle Auditorium, and uh, they had their own rump convention. They put together a convention of states, and they decided to nominate then-governor of South Carolina, Strom Thurmond, to be running for president against Truman. And, you know, that all got put together here. They stayed at the Tutwiler Hotel and then ran Strom, and they thought they would defeat Truman that way. But it turns out history had a different idea and uh, Truman got reelected and, uh, and things moved on. But then of course that led over time to 1963 and we're very familiar with 1963 and Martin Luther King's march and, and a campaign here uh, based on uh, the, the hardened segregation of this city knew that that was a backdrop through which that they could, they could show the world that the change needed to happen. And of course, you know, the city, the, the segregation of city leaders gave them exactly what they wanted. Uh, they gave them a confrontation. And, uh, and uh, you know, that plus the bombing of 16th Street, you know, really uh, put Birmingham on the map in a way that, you know, we're, we are uh, only now, I think, beginning to begin to appreciate more as opposed to just not want to talk about. And I think it's important that we talk about it and recognize it uh, as a part of history because it is part of what's made us who we are and talk about a lot of the inspiration some, a lot of that is what has, has, has been what's inspiring. But that led in 1979 to the election of Richard Arrington, the first African-American mayor, and he was mayor for the next 20 years. And he gets us, you know, it's unfair of me to just sort of brush over Richard Arrington this way, but he gave us 20 years of, of uh, change in Birmingham. And uh, in 1999, he decided 20 years was long enough, and he uh, retired as mayor.
So, inspiration. What can inspire us from this romp through history? And, and what, is, what is it about Birmingham that gives us inspiration? Well, and I think for creatives, whether you're a creative in the room or you're you know, an Advent parishioner or you're um, uh, just somebody who heard this on BHM and thought this would be interesting to, to hear, I think all of us can really draw from this history some, some interesting inspiration. First of all, the importance of the entrepreneurial spirit and, and having big dreams and having big vision and, and believing that it's possible to, to, to see that through. And vision, of course, resilience, because this was a city that, that could have died many times, many times. Uh, but it was resilient, and the people here were resilient. We've not even really talked about the generosity of this city. We haven't talked about Brother Brian or um, uh, you know, a lot of the innovative social workers that have dotted our history. We haven't talked about them at all, but we haven't talked about the fact that we, this city is a giving city, but the generosity here is, is amazing. Uh, the grit of the city, the hard work, and the reconciliation and change um, are all things that can inspire and do inspire. Um, this is a city where the mixture of ambition, blue-collar grit, um, faith in God, people from all over the world really came together in a really amazing way, and we're, we're still here. We're still making it work. We're still making it happen. As far as the place itself, you know, just being here, you know, not knowing anything about the history, but just looking around, just looking around gives you things to be inspired by. You know, the, the industrial heritage, the physical remnants of the industrial heritage. You know, Sloss Furnace to me is a work of art. It's a big sculpture, you know, itself, um, beyond what it functioned as. You know, it, it's an amazing piece of art by itself. Uh, and the historic buildings, um, the, the fact that we do have, did have an economy that was kind of stunted when all the other Sunbelt cities of Orlando and um, Atlanta and even Nashville were tearing down all their historic buildings. We, we couldn't really do that, thankfully. Uh, we lost some. We lost some, you know, some good ones, like the train, train terminal and, um, you know, a few others. But, uh, you know, thankfully, uh, we have found a way to retain much of our historic So just go really look at the buildings. You get on the street and walk, touch them. I mean, you can touch a brick that probably somebody 100 years ago touched, you know? And, uh, you know, look at the terracotta, look at the details, look at all that. Really, don't just sort of drive by, look at all that detail. It, there's really amazing stuff here and an amazing craftsmanship that went into building this city. Um, but the natural beauty, you know, going back to what happened here, what God put here. Uh, you know, we are a naturally beautiful place, and we've got a lot uh, to be inspiring us there. So why Birmingham needs creatives to create, this is really the point here. And today, who are we? You know, what, what do we have? I, arguably, we have a new confidence going on in Birmingham. I think we all feel that. I think there's a new confidence in this city that is palpable. It's touch, you can almost touch that. And, and that's something that I know some of us who've lived here, like me, for a long time have just longed for to see happen. You know, we've longed for people to begin to love this city again and not be sort of, you know, afraid of talking about it or ashamed of it or whatever. I mean, I think it's time to love this city again, and people are. And I, and I think that's being driven by, you know, a, you know, the younger generation. I think it's being driven by more people coming here from somewhere else and appreciating it. Um, but that new confidence, we're not perfect. We're not. We've got a lot of imperfections, but it is uh, something that we should treasure and, and have a new confidence in. 
Um, you know, people have talked for, you know, really over a decade now about the importance of the creative class. You've heard about Richard Florida and all his work and talking about the creative class being important. And that's legitimate. That's, you know, it's important that the creative class feel like this is a city that gives them what they want and, and therefore you can recruit people to come, to come here. Um, but I think going beyond Richard Florida and his thinking on the creative class a little bit, there was a Washington Post article some of you may have seen a couple of months ago that I think captures really um, something important for Birmingham, and that is that, you know, we, we're a city that has a lot to offer in terms of the high-tech and high-growth business um, entrepreneurship, um, but we have more than that, too. And I think there's an argument now being made that there's this sort of fixation in economic development on um, high-tech, high-growth, and that stuff's important. And believe me, we've, we've got one of the best business incubators in the world here, and that is important. But to neglect that we also need people to open up uh, the coffee shops and we need people to do um, the furniture stores or the art stores we need the restaurants we, we need those things we need that entrepreneurship because frankly most entrepreneurs uh, especially in the millennial generation and this has been this has been studied when they're thinking about what they want to do when they have a dream a vision that's more the kind of thing they want to do you know it's a very special uh, special person that has the dream to do the tech thing and that's important but more people really want to go into that world, and, and less, very, very few actually do. Very few take the leap. And we need more of that leap being taken. Um, and, and that is, I think, one of the things that's making Birmingham cool right now. You know, Birmingham, you know, we've had UAB a long time, but now we've got a lot more food scene. We've got a lot more art scene that's visible. We've got a lot more of this maker culture really doing uh, things that are noticeable and tangible, and, and that is uh, what's making Birmingham interesting. And I can tell you, as the guy who's recruiting people to downtown Birmingham, and I've, I've, you know, we've been involved in recruiting people from Hoover and from 119, trying to move them downtown, you ask them, why are you moving downtown? It's not because they say, well, we're getting cheap parking when we're coming downtown. You know, that's not the answer. Uh, they'll pay for the parking. It's because they say, the workforce that I want to recruit wants me to be downtown. That's who I need working for me. And they want to be in this kind of environment. Um, creatives are leaders. Creatives are leaders in revitalization. They're leaders here. Creatives are leaders everywhere, really, in revitalization. And that's, that's true here. If you look at downtown, you look at Crestwood, you look at Eastlake, you know, creatives are the ones who can see possibility that some, so many of us can't. And so creatives, keep creating, keep leading in revitalization, and keep leading in culture. We need that. Um, we need, as we have seen in our history, a diversity in our economy. Uh, we need a lot of different types of businesses. And, you know, Birmingham is a city that has seen a lot of businesses grow and then get gobbled up by a bigger fish somewhere else. TCI, we've talked about, but, you know, look throughout our history. Just 10 years ago, we had four big bank headquarters in downtown, now we've got one. Um, you know, and that's the way business goes, that's fine. That's the way it works, but we need more to come behind them. Yeah. And uh, so, and creatives help in that. And of course, creatives bring us fun and whimsy. I mean, it, you know, the city's more fun when people are doing their creative thing. And, I, and, and you know, city, this city has always been a working city. Uh, it's starting to become a playing city, and that's good. For so long it wasn't. People went to the lake or to the beach to play, right, or somewhere else. Uh, but Birmingham is now a planning city, and I think creatives are fueling that. But I think really important to me is creatives, I think, can promote this city and give it a voice. 
because we need that. We need a voice that's talking about city, this city beyond what people may think of it, especially from the outside. And two examples, Avondale Brewery opened up in Avondale, and that is a creative craft brewery that branded itself with the place that it's in. And Avondale used to be, not too long ago, a place you just wanted to drive through. Now it's a place you want to drive to. And they really, there was a lot going on, but I think branding that popular product with the place changed the place. You know? Another example, you know, y'all may know Heidi Elnora, you know, the designer, the, the wedding dress designer, and you know, she has gotten well known around the country. And um, if y'all don't know Heidi, you need to know about her. Not only is she passionate about design, she's passionate about Alabama and she's passionate about Birmingham. She's you know, about to you know, move her business into downtown. She's been at Pepper Place. She's moving into downtown. Um, but she, through the show that she has now, you know, the, the national television show she has, she says, I want people to have a positive image of Birmingham through what I'm doing, not a negative one. And, and that's awesome. That's, we need more of that. So um, today you're going to get treated to be the first group to see a video that has been made, a short film that has been made that I think really, truly captures what we've been talking about, maybe better than what I have been able to say. Three minutes of a film that was uh, produced and created by um, you know, Merrill Stewart and the Stewart Perry Company decided, you know, they're doing a lot of the construction projects downtown. They said, you know, we need something that, that gets what's going on. We need something that captures this moment in Birmingham. And I'll, I want to spend three minutes watching this. They sort of, they called us and they said, you know, we need this. And they said, yeah, we do need this. And we sort of collaborated a little bit. But really, they get the credit uh, of uh, finding the filmmakers and putting it all together. So let's watch that, and then I'll, I'll finish up.
and set out to put the meat back on the bones of glorious old theaters and sumptuous hotels, of shops and stands and stores. The hideous corners of concrete steel reached for the sky, bustling and gleaming and shining again. The old made new, the old made true again. Magic? It's in the music that shakes those old bones, in food that comforts and provokes and stimulates the soul as a matter of course. If there is magic here, it is in the eternal act of creation, in the hope and the heart and the healing and the feeling. If there is magic at all, it comes in a city that looks outside itself and likes what the world has to offer. It comes in a city that looks in the mirror and likes what it sees. This is Birmingham, with its arts and its smarts, its beat and its bearing, and parks that roll on like rivers. This is Birmingham, running and dancing, singing and soaring and building and rebuilding and beaming all the way. This is Birmingham, where grass is green and dirt is red and smiles light up the night. You'd be tempted, perhaps, to call her magic, but she's Birmingham. The real city. So, if there is magic, it comes from the eternal act of creation. That was John Archibald. If you didn't recognize the voice, he was doing the the voicing of that. Um, I think that video captures it. So. Arguably a new renaissance era for Birmingham, but we must fight for it. We must maintain it. We must work for it. We can't assume that it keeps happening. So um, do you have a fight in you, creative out there? Take your passion and do more with it. Make it happen. Make, make, use this city as the fuel and then give back to this city in a way that makes it a better city. Banker, if you're out there, writer, whoever you are out there, what fight do you have in you that will help Birmingham be uh, the next, enter that next phase? We've talked about three. What's the next phase going to really be? So um, with that, thank you for listening to me. Mm -hmm.